God bless you for your giving this morning. And again, there is such a beautiful presence of God's presence here this morning. And we thank the Lord for you being receptive and open to what God is wanting to do among His people this morning. Take your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, within your Bibles this morning. Uh, yes, I realize what time it is, and it means nothing. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't mind it when you look at your watches. It's when you put them to your ears to see if your watches are working. I get worried. Amen. This weekend we had the grand opportunity, Becky and I, and I should really say Becky, of babysitting our twin grandsons who are almost three. Oh, it, it just brought back so many memories of what I don't want to live over again. <laughs> it's great being a grandpa. I'll tell you, you, you get all the joys, the frills, and without the responsibility, you can give them back. Hallelujah. And every time we passed by a schoolyard, every time we passed by a playground, from the back seat, what do we hear from Jack, the oldest? Play, play, play. I mean, I, every schoolyard, every park, uh, every place that he saw a slide, a swing set, even backyards of homes. I mean, driving up to our, our cottage this weekend because uh, our uh, Julie and Pastor Ryan attended the young married's uh, conference up in Frankenmuth, uh, every time we passed by uh, some type of play set, play, play, play. I mean, he drove me crazy with play, play, play. Sad to say, that's how some Christians look at Christianity. Play, play, play. Would you agree with me that real Christianity is not a playground? It's a battleground. It's a battleground. And we face an enemy whose power is beyond human comprehension. He has eons of experience. He is a master strategist. He is a horrific general. The listings of his victories go on and on. He has defeated the strongest man, Samson. The enemy I speak of defeated the wisest man, Solomon. The enemy that I speak of placed his foot upon the man after God's own heart, David, and almost defeated him. Who is this dreadful enemy that I speak of? Satan. We're in a message series this month called Deceived. Deceived. One of the enemy's greatest deceptions is in respect to his existence. Most are convinced that there's a God. Most of America believes in heaven. But many doubt the existence of a devil and don't want to believe in a hell. I want to serve you notice this morning, Satan is real. A very real Satan appeared to Eve in the Garden of Eden. A very real Satan attacked Job. Read that oldest book of the Bible. A, a very real Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. A very real Satan 
possessed Judas. And a very real Satan will possess the Antichrist in the not too distant future. A very real Satan has deceived our culture. And some are fighting a very real Satan within their homes as I preach this morning. Don't be deceived. Satanism, Satanism is far more than uh, the blatant practices of the occult. Most of us, when it comes to Satanism, we have what I call a Hollywood theology. When we think of Satanism, we think of black robes, candles, chanting, and pentagrams. Satanism is far more pervasive and far more deceptive than that. The truth of the matter is this. You can hold membership in a Christian church. You can live in a Christian home. And you can be under satanic influence. And not only can you be under satanic influence, you can act in a satanic fashion. That's a bold statement, Pastor. Do you have Bible for that? Yes, I do. Peter at one time, Peter who had walked with Jesus for three years, Peter who had been to Jesus University, Peter who had cast out demons, at one point Peter counseled Jesus to not go to Jerusalem and not go to the cross. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Satan, get thee behind me. Judas also walked with Jesus for three years. Judas healed the sick. Judas cast out demons, the Bible said. Judas at one point had his name listed in heaven according to Luke chapter 10. And yet Judas ended up being possessed by Satan himself at the Last Supper. Read in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they were there on the founding of the church. They were there at the first Pentecost. They were there. Believers were born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were all a part of that. Yet they played the role of hypocrites. In Acts chapter 5, verse 3, Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? It was more than God could stomach, and he struck them dead. Yes, you can be a card-carrying member of a Christian church and act satanically. So this morning, I want to invite you to not only discover Satan's manifestations, especially in the home, marriage and family, as revealed by the titles that God gives Satan. But also this morning, I want you to discover the weapons. More importantly, I want you to discover the weapons of our warfare that God has given us in order for us to enjoy victory over the enemy. The Lord's will for you and I is to enjoy victory, to be victors and not victims. This morning, I have you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not man-made. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. This morning, I want you to understand the weapons that God has given you to fight Satanism. 
in any sphere of influence that you might find yourself, especially in marriage and family. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Spirit of God, open our eyes and our hearts to what you're saying to the church today. In your name, Lord, we pray it. Amen. Victors or victims. Victors or victims. If you have a study guide, follow along with me this morning, if you would, and fill in the blanks with me if you would like to follow along with me. Our first point that I want to bring to your attention this morning, and I can't read it in my sermon notes, Linda, so you're going to have to show it on the screen. Satan is the original rebel. The original rebel. By definition, a rebel is one who always finds fault with delegated authority. The Bible describes Lucifer, and you'll see it in our play. The Bible describes Lucifer as the highest angel ever created by God. He was the anointed guardian cherub. He was known as the worship leader in heaven until pride consumed his heart, and he wanted God's place of authority. He rebelled and took a third of the angels, the Bible tells us, with him in rebellion against God's authority. At heart, at the core of his essence, Satan is a rebel. Anytime you see the manifestation of rebellion in a home or in a church, you're seeing satanic manifestations. Isaiah chapter 14 describes his fall. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. Who said that? Lucifer did. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the amount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan wanted God's authority, and he still wants it. The enemy hates all authority. The enemy hates all righteous, delegated authority. It's he who inspires rebellion against God's delegated authority in the home and in the church. I'm convinced the greatest battle, the greatest battle, the greatest battle in the American home today is the battle for authority. Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. In the home, who is supposed to submit to who in the marriage? Who? Trick question. Because verse 21 up above says that you are called to submit one to another. The form of submission that a husband is to take he is to submit to his wife by loving her more than life itself. He is to die to himself every day and come alive to the needs of his wife. He is called to fulfill the needs of his wife. He is to follow her need, but she is to follow his lead. The lead is his. Well, my husband doesn't make good decisions. You married him, didn't you? <laughs> Follow his lead. Follow his lead. Follow his lead. God has made him and crafted him. 
to be the leader in the home, to be the head of the home. I, I watched this with my little grandsons. They didn't, they didn't start playing with Barbies. Nobody taught them. They're playing with trucks and bulldozers and farm tractors now. Little ones, of course. Yeah, no one told them that. It's very interesting to observe. It's built within a man to lead. We're in a culture, and I'll preach about this next week, that, that is emasculating men. On a grand scale today, there is a strategy behind this. The enemy is angry against God's righteous delegated authority. Anything in nature, show me any animal, any organism in nature that has two heads, and I'll show you a freak. It just doesn't work. Any organization that has two heads is a war zone. I have never, in all of my years of pastoring, I've never seen a happy home where the father and the husband is not allowed to lead, not allowed to be the head. Mark it down well. You've seen it too. Anyone who attacks the husband's authority is literally attacking God's plan. 1 Samuel 15, 23, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Witchcraft is the method, is the method used to carry out Satan's unrighteous authority. A teenager who consistently debates and consistently disobeys a parent's leadership is not only in a sphere of going through a phase, they're under a curse that they have brought upon themselves. They're in spiritual rebellion. They're operating in witchcraft. They're encouraging demonic activity within their life. That rebellious spirit does not, does not come from God. But Johnny and Susie are just going through a phase. That's what they used to tell me when I was a youth pastor. And I can tell you now, 30 years later, Johnny and Susie are still going through that phase. That rebellious spirit does not, does not, does not come from God. If anything does not measure up to God's word, God's will, God's way, within the home, it's rebellion. Righteous delegated authority is not just a home issue. What about those who constantly find fault with their church leadership? I want you to know not because I need to be in a defensive posture whatsoever. I want you to know, in order to protect you so that the blessing may remain on you, they're often influenced by demonic spirits for the purpose of bringing discord and division to the body. Hebrews 13, 17, be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not its drudgery. There's plenty of drudgery, let me tell you. Why would you want to make things harder for them? The bottom line is this. You are either under God's delegated authority or you're under Satan's. You're either a slave to Satan or you're a child of the king. Now mark it down. You can come against the satanic spirit of rebellion in your home by speaking the name of Jesus in spiritual authority. 
The name of Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Praying in the name of Jesus is not a magical formula. Praying in the name of Jesus is not tacking on the name of Jesus onto your holy wish list. It means your prayers are consistent with God's Word and God's will. It means we've been granted the legal power of attorney to transact spiritual, transact kingdom business in the name of the Lord. When you come against the powers of darkness, when you come against the prince of darkness, they can roar in defiance of you. How dare you enter our realm? How dare you try to bind us? I dare because I come to you, not in my name. I come to you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I cast you out. In the name of Jesus, I pierce the darkness. In the name of Jesus, I claim my son. I claim my daughter through the cross of Calvary. In the name of Jesus, I exercise my divine right as a child of the King. Know in whom you believe. Know whose you are. Know that you're a child of the living God. And you move in the name of Jesus. When you pray in the name of Jesus, strongholds are pulled down. When you pray in the name of Jesus, mountains move. Uh, light pierces the darkness. Some of you have been whining about the darkness. It's time for you to shine in the darkness in the name of Jesus. Oh, come on, church. I'm preaching about the name of Jesus. I'm talking about the name of Jesus. I'm preaching about the name of Jesus. At that name, the angels bow. At that name, the demons flee. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, him, Jesus, Lord of all. Glory to God. I still am moved by the name of Jesus. There's no name like his name. Jesus. 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 Some of you are combating controlling spirits within your home. Satan is called the God of this age. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The image of God. God of this age refers to how the devil influences and controls the world. I want you to understand that real witchcraft, witchcraft, much is spoken of witchcraft at this Halloween month. And witchcraft is put in such a positive, palatable light in our culture today. I want you to know that real witchcraft is more than an old hag riding around on a broom. It's a Jezebel spirit. How many, how many how many parents named their daughter Jezebel? 
When was the last time you met a woman, you met a girl whose name was Jezebel? Most of you don't even know why. You have never met somebody by the name of Jezebel. Read the story of Jezebel. It would be good in women's ministry to study the Jezebel spirit. The Jezebel spirit in the Bible is a spirit of witchcraft and sorcery. It's a spirit of manipulation, intimidation, and domination. You need to see it there. It's a controlling spirit. We see controlling spirit examples in marriages and homes all the time. They are homes that are controlled by bad moods, silent treatments, pouting, 50-50 propositions. You do for me, I'll do for you. There's a lot of shouting going on, many cursing that fills the air, temper tantrums, stomping, <laughs> slamming of doors, pounding of walls, and I'm not talking about the kids. Even waterworks can be used as manipulation. I can remember when our daughter Jenny was three years old and she wouldn't get her way. She would do this. I was waiting for her head to just spin around. She'd grit her teeth. I was worried she'd break her teeth. A controlling, a controlling spirit as I said, can be summed up in three major categories. Intimidation, manipulation, and domination. For example, it, intimidation is seen in the man when he controls the home with his temper, with shouting, with the threat of violence. Manipulation, for instance, is when the little lady of the house lets the man know, lets the husband know that if she doesn't get her way, the bedroom is not going to come alive tonight. The bedroom will end up cold as an iceberg. Manipulation. I mean, teens, teens love using manipulation. One of their favorite weapons is guilt. You're terrible parents. You treat me like a child. All my friends' parents are letting them go. Letting them dress like that. Letting them do that. I'm not your friend's parents. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. And when she came to church, not dressed the way I wanted her to dress, she got out of the home without me checking and seeing. But boy, she heard about it when she got back home, church. I did. Domination is the control freak who has to control every, every, every decision in the home, every purchase of the home. Many times they control by using the purse strings and it's the attitude, my way or the... You got it. Homes controlled by anything other than God's Spirit are headed for division, discord, and destruction. Mark it down. Controlling spirits from the enemy can only be defeated by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. This is where you need to be walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, opening your heart to the Holy Spirit. There might be a lot you don't understand about this church. 
and what we believe and practice. There might be a lot about Bible uh, theology you don't understand. Understand this. Today in prayer, open up your heart. Make yourself available and say, Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come in your own gentle, special way. Come in your power. Come in your might. Come, Holy Spirit. Come today. And open up to the Spirit. Let Him do the rest. He'll know what to do in your life. You're either opening up your life to a Holy Spirit or an unholy spirit. There's no middle ground in this. There's no fence straddling in this. Galatians chapter 5 says, So I say, the Apostle Paul writes, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What are the acts of the flesh? The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and what? Now notice what's connected with witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who behave like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But when the Holy Spirit controls you. you got to be controlled by somebody. I said you got to be controlled by somebody. I don't know about you, but I want to be controlled by a Holy Spirit, not a demonic spirit. I want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when He controls our lives, He will produce what kind of fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, or what I call spirit control. If your home has been invaded by a controlling spirit, come against it in the name of Jesus and invite the Spirit of the Lord to come into your home. I have literally laid my hands upon my children when they've been conscious and when they've been asleep. <laughs> I've laid my hands upon their head and I've cried out to God, Lord, uh, this vessel was fashioned for your presence, uh, for your Holy Spirit, and the enemy has no authority in this place. Hallelujah. Come, Holy Spirit, we need Thee. Come! Let that be your prayer. Every home, every home, every home, every marriage, every life is controlled by a spirit, holy or unholy, making you a victor or a victim. When you determine to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, you become His vessel. You become His open door for a miracle. You might be the only one, the only one, the only one serving God in your family, in your home. When you invite the Spirit of the Lord to operate within you, you become a foothold. You become a beachhead, an invasion point for the Spirit of God to pierce the darkness of your home. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 teaches all about this. You need to read it when you get home. Some of you have unsaved family members that you have to rub shoulders with all the time. Read 1 Corinthians 7, how you can be the sanctifying influence in your home, the open door for a miracle for your family. True self-esteem. True self-esteem. The reason many homes are afflicted with negativity, critical attitudes, and sheer unhappiness is due to an accusing, accusing spirit. 
accusing spirit. You'd be, you'd be shocked at how many, maybe you wouldn't, how many accusing spirits are in our homes and our marriages today. The title devil, the word devil, literally means slanderer or accuser. That's what the word devil means in the Greek. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the accuser, who's the accuser? Satan, of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them how much? How much does the devil accuse you before the throne of God? 24-7. He is constantly accusing you. We assist the devil in his work by slandering and accusing when we participate in self-recrimination. Again, the enemy is actively slandering us before God. And I know that you have heard his voice. I know I have. Whispering in your ear, you're worthless. You're a failure. You're a loser. You're a dirty sinner. God doesn't love you. You're not going to make it. Your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You're a nobody. The reason some of you are dealing with such a critical spirit in your home, I spot it in the church at times with very critical people. Feel sorry for them. At heart, a critical person is a very unhappy person. A person that is mostly critical of themselves. A person who is lending a listening ear to Satan's one-liners. You're a loser, a failure, wicked, a sinner, worthless, a nobody. Feel sorry for that one. I know, I know when I have harbored, when I have lent a listening ear to the fearful attack, the slanderous, critical attack of the enemy and his one-liners. I remember one time not long ago, I laid my hand, my head, in Becky's lap. She laid her hand on my head. She began to plead the blood of Jesus over my mind because our mind can be our worst enemy. Our mind can be the greatest battleground on the planet where the enemy can have a field day. Perhaps that's you this morning and you need to invite one of us pastors or a brother or a sister in the Lord to lay a hand upon your head so that that will stop and be broken, the accusing, slanderous work of the devil in your mind and in your brain. Mark it down. Mark it down. Claim the victory for your home by pleading the blood of Jesus. Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. The blood of Jesus speaks. You see, the devil, when he accuses and slanders within your mind, the devil points to your past. 
Look at what you did. Look at your sins. Look at your life. Look at your regrets. Look at your, your wickedness. He points to our past. He points to our failings. He points to our sins. And He can, re, he can rightfully and legally declare us guilty of people without hope. And you know, He's right. We are a people without hope. No good thing dwells within us, as the Bible says. But when the devil points to your past, when he points to your failings, when he points to your sins, you point to the blood. <laughs> Look at the blood. <laughs> Respect the blood. <laughs> Plead the blood. The blood of Jesus speaks better words. The blood of Jesus speaks victory. It speaks, uh, it cries out and says, forgiven. It cries out, grace. It cries out, hallelujah, glory, worthy. You're no longer a nobody. You're a somebody when you're under the blood of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad for power? Wonder-working power in the blood. It wasn't the miracles of Jesus. It wasn't the teaching of Jesus. It wasn't the preaching of Jesus that brought the victory. It was the shed blood of Christ on the cross uh, that turned the tide of the battle and brought us hope and brought us a home in heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the precious blood. I've said it so many times. I think I preached it even last week, but I'm going to sing it again. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. Nothing but the blood. The precious blood of Jesus. Many of you remember years ago, not that long ago, when Katrina hit. And then all those people try to cash in on their insurance. And because insurance was so overwhelmed, insurance companies couldn't pay out. There is a divine insurance that no matter where your children are, your loved ones are, you can claim this divine insurance. What am I speaking of? On that first Passover night, when the fathers of every home acted as the priest of the family, they painted the blood of what? It wasn't red paint. They painted the blood of the lamb, the sacrificial lamb upon the doorposts and the lintels of their homes. And that night when the destroyer moved in, when the ravenous destroyer from dimensions beyond the forces of darkness moved in, when God saw the blood, the destroyer had to pass over. My son is in California. My daughter's in Florida. But don't you know there's not a day that passes that I plead the power of the blood upon them in the name of Jesus. Protect them. Keep them from sin. Give them a passion for your presence, Lord. I plead the blood of the Lamb upon Jonathan and Jenny, Julie and Ryan, and now Jack and Logan. They really need the power of the blood pled upon them. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let that be your practice. 
Because the blood of Jesus Christ, victory, authority, power, strength, forgiveness, and the destroyer must pass over. It's the only thing that will deter him from his attack. Many of you are aware that this past summer we had a home invasion. We, had, we were entertaining the pastors and our directors up at our cottage, and Pastor Ryan, our youth pastor, my son-in-law, at the end of that affair around midnight, went into the bedroom where my twin grandsons were sleeping, and in the darkness he looked up and two eyes were staring at him from the closet. We're still going through the court system with this. We've appeared twice in court. Pray with us. We've got a whole year ahead of us uh, with this still. Poor Ryan, Pastor Ryan, he hasn't been able to open up a closet since. <laughs> home invasion. I want to talk to you about home invasion. Home invasion. It was Jesus who identified Satan as what? A thief. A killer and a destroyer. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said the devil is a thief who comes to rob. And not only steal, but to murder. Pastor, I haven't stolen a th thing in my life. I've never robbed. I'm an honest person. Have you ever stolen someone's joy? Have you ever stolen someone's joy? It's a manifestation of the satanic to steal another person's joy. Have you stolen your parents' joy? They remember the day they brought you home from the hospital. They remember the day that they held you in their arms. It lifted up a hand and thanked the Lord for the gift of life. They remember the day that they came down here or at another church and dedicated you to the Lord. But as you've grown up, your heart has gotten hard. As you've grown up, you've become stubborn. And you have rebelled. And you have so grieved your parents. You have destroyed their dreams for you. But it's not too late. It's not too late. As we preached last week about the prodigal son, my word to you this morning is come home, come home, come home. And you'll be your parents' greatest joy again. Perhaps you've still stolen your children's joy. Perhaps, parent, you've been so controlling or so lax in your discipline. You've robbed your kids of real joy in life by, by warping their personalities. Have you stolen your husband's joy? Have you stolen your wife's joy? You made holy vows on a wedding altar, but you've committed grand larceny by, by, by stealing your mate's joy, by your demanding ways, by your moods, by your pouting, your, your controlling spirit, your manipulation, because you've refused to exercise real love in your marriage, but he doesn't deserve it, Pastor. Well, give it to him on credit. You do everything else on the credit card. Give it to him on credit. And in fact, the Bible says, do it as unto the Lord. The Lord will never let you down. Do it for the Lord. One day you'll be judged. We do it to the Lord. Love her as unto the Lord. 
John 8, 44, Jesus said this about the enemy. He was a murderer from the beginning. Pastor, I'd never be guilty of murder. You can murder someone else with your toxic tongue. Gossip, constant criticism, slander, cutdowns, verbal lacerating, tongue lashings. You can murder another's reputation. You can murder their character. You can murder their influence. This homicidal spirit of the tongue is alive and well in homes today. Kids who lacerate their parents with cutting ridicule. Wives who verbally emasculate their husbands. Husbands whose angry words have killed any chance of love within the home. Parents who curse their kids' very existence by saying, I wish we never had you. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If Satan's work of stealing, if Satan's manifestation of murder is not repented of in your home, in your marriage, then you could very well be the enemy's, the enemy's weapon of mass destruction of a home, a marriage, and even an eternal soul. God's got a better way. I said, God's got a better way. You can be a victor and not a victim by making His Word, His Word, your Word. Would you write that down? Your Word. Revelation 12, 11, And they overcame Him, Satan, by the Word of their testimony. When you make His Word, I'm talking about the Bible, when you make His Word your Word, your thoughts and your words are guided by the Lord. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, what speaks? The mouth. How do I get to know what's going on in your life? Hang, hanging out with you every now and then and listening to how you speak. Listening to what comes out of your mouth. That's how I know the core of your being. When you make His Word your Word, you speak edifying, encouraging, exhorting words of comfort that come forth, words of upbuilding instead of tearing down. But more than receiving His Word, we are called to release His Word. Ephesians 6.17 Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is why here at Lakeside, we teach you the Word. On Wednesday nights, we invite you to come to classes to understand the Word, to study the Word, to memorize the Word, so that in the hour of trial, you may quote God's Word. You may confess God's Word by faith. In the hour of trial, in the hour of darkness, when you see the enemy's hand at work within your home, don't just merely... Say, I, I twist your t horns and pull your tail. That, that, that doesn't mean squat when you deal with the enemy. Those are your words. Those are your words. You need to speak God's words. When you speak God's word in prayer, you're dealing with a double anointing, double power. It's explosive. It's the sword of the Spirit. What did Jesus, the Son of God, do when he was confronted by Satan in the wilderness? Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. He confronted old Slewfoot with the Word of God. And that's what you'll do 
When you are sensing darkness pervading your marriage, darkness pervading your family relationships, take your stand, a posture in prayer, and begin to speak and release the Word of God. Begin to declare, if God be for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Nothing shall separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. For greater is He that's within me than he that's within the world. Hallelujah. Speak the word. Release the word. You're using the sword of the Spirit. Be a victor and not a victim. The atmosphere of your home. The atmosphere of your home. Years ago, we were in a worship service like this with my dad, and he was preaching as I'm preaching right now, and all of a sudden, something's flying over the congregation. I'd like to say it was a uh, sparrow. It was the size of a sparrow, but it had fur growing all over it, and it had leather wings. You never saw such a spiritual experience as what was going on while my dad's preaching, and that furry bat was flying over the congregation. Oh, we had people that they really thought the demons were let loose in that church, and there were demons in that church, I'll tell you that. And uh, that night, my, my brother and I, we decided to return to the, the church and help Dad out. And we just knew that the, the bats were definitely not in the belfry, but in the attic, the old attic of the church. And so we got up there, and our, our, our weapons were brooms, and we had a lantern. Yeah, it was back in the Stone Age. We had a, there was no electricity back then. No, yeah, it was an electric battery lantern. And we're up. And we're balancing on the joists with insulation on either side. And we thought, you know, two or three bats up there. And, uh, and the, uh, my brother was holding the lantern. I've got a big broom ready to swat those two or three bats. And we're up there again balancing when all of a sudden, not two, not three, not 20, Hundreds of bats! Oh my God, help us! We're screaming, bats are in our hair, bats are on our bodies, bats are all over us. We're swinging the broom, the lantern falls down, it's pitch darkness now. Now we got bats all over us. We fall through the insulation, we destroy the ceiling of the church. It was terrible. Terrible. Terrible, especially when Dad got a hold of us. Every time I think of the demonic, I remember that story, the bat hunting story. Have you ever entered a place? Have you ever entered a place where you sense oppression, darkness, a stench of evil, the presence of the demonic? There's a liquor store not far from this building. One time I had to go in and get a newspaper real quick. Never been in there before, and I will never go in since. As the spirit of discernment, I mean, it was like alarm bells went off. The stench of evil, the sense of oppression, the very atmosphere being affected. 
fill in the blank with me if you would. Satan seeks to turn the atmosphere of a nation, a church or home, into one of darkness. Darkness. Ephesians 2, 2. The prince of the power of the air. He controls the atmosphere. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Or how about Ephesians 6.12, the classic, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the what? Darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Places where the inhabitants have participated in the enemy's deception of mind-altering substance abuse. Places where pornography, sexual immorality, perversion is engaged in. Places where there's hatred, cursing, and violence. Places where those have participated in demonic media, satanic rock or hip-hop, occultic video games, horror movies. All of these situations are encouraging demonic activity. Please be aware of this. And it affects the very atmosphere of that abode, that building, that place, that context. It's God's will. Write it down. It's God's will. It's God's will for His children to pierce the darkness, to change the atmosphere of our homes, our schools, our workplaces, and nation through His weapons of intercessory prayer and praise. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6, uh, 18 says, And pray in the what? Pray in the what? Pray in the what? I want you to be aware of that. This is when you begin praying in overdrive. It's when the Holy Spirit directs your prayer. It's when the Holy Spirit directs your praise. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Here Paul is specifically talking about intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is always prayer on behalf of another. It's not when you, you pray with your hands outstretched, give me. It's when you link arms with God and have His heart for a lost world and you're always praying for someone else. It's catching His heartbeat, working with Him to save the lost. You will be hard put to find anybody in this church that was born again without somebody praying for them. I would dare say every soul in this church came to faith because somebody at some time was praying for you, seeking God for you. Intercessory prayers mixed with high praises, high praises, high praises always bring a binding upon the forces of darkness. Psalms 149, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor has all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. Stop thinking of praise time as just a, an up-tempo way to wake up the church. Stop thinking of praise time just to give you the little holy doodads up and down your tailbone. Start thinking of your praise time as battle time. 
Start opening yourself up for the Spirit of the Lord uh, to bring forth uh, high praises through you. When you bring forth high praises unto the Lord, you move uh, in spiritual warfare. You move in praise warfare. You release God to do what He knows to do best. You see, sometimes our prayers can dictate to God what we want. But praise releases God to do what He wants. I don't know about you, but I want to move into what God wants in my life. What God wants in my battleground for His glory and His honor's sake. When we move into high praises, the Lord, our mighty warrior, goes to battle. We praise and He fights. I ask you as Cindy comes, will you be a victor or will you keep being a victim? Will you be a victor or will you be a victim? It's your choice. There's no lukewarm halfway point in this. How about it? Which side are you on? Who will you be controlled by? Who you cave into and yield to, surrender to? Who are you going to follow? So thankful for that chorus that the praise team sang this morning. I will follow you. I ask you this morning, who are you going to follow? Come on, face it. Old Slewfoot's been a loser from the beginning. Look at his biography. Look at his resume. He was kicked out of heaven in the beginning. Then he was kicked out of the garden and cursed the Garden of Eden. He lost, he lost his wrestling match with Jesus in the wilderness of temptation. He was decisively defeated at the cross of Calvary and the empty tomb. The Bible says that there's coming a time. It's coming at any moment. When Jesus Christ will descend from heaven with a shout, uh, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive and remain will be caught up to be in the air to be with him forevermore. And not soon after, the devil will be bound and cast into hell for a thousand years. But that's not the end. That's not the end. That's not the end of the story. The Bible says that after the millennium, the Bible says that at that time, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We're not just talking about the wicked. We're not just talking about Stalin, Herod, or Emperor Nero. We're saying every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That means old Slewfoot, Satan, Lucifer, his knees shall bow and his tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Hallelujah. Stand with me this morning. Stand with me this morning. Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. This is not a time to leave unless it's an emergency. As you stand in the presence of the Lord today, my word to you is this. We've read the end of the book. We've read the end of the book. It doesn't end in a whimper. 
it ends in a roar. We're on the winning side. There's no sense following a loser. Isn't it about time you follow Jesus? And follow him with all of your heart. We are here to worship him. I know we've gone a little bit longer this morning, but I know my Lakeside family. I know Lakeside. You've got a heart to praise the Lord. You've got a heart to worship the Lord. I don't know about the atmosphere in your home, but if the atmosphere in your home is not His atmosphere, the Lord's atmosphere, if you have a family circle where just at least one, just one, is in rebellion, then you've got something to go to battle with. You need to pierce the darkness this morning. If it's five minutes or 50 minutes, God is calling forth prayer warriors. God is calling forth praise warriors to pierce the darkness in the name of Jesus and call upon our mighty warrior to go to battle for us. I'd like to fill up this whole altar. I'd like to fill up the, the aisleways this morning with hands lifted up. And whether it's five minutes or 50 minutes before you leave this building this morning, I challenge you to lift up the name of Jesus. I challenge you to plead the blood of Jesus. I challenge you this morning, hallelujah, to press into His presence. In a keynote, a closing note of praise, would you praise Him this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you pierce the darkness? This morning, would you release the high praises of God in the name of Jesus? Join me down at this altar. Fill up the aisleways. Come right now.